0: Good morning, everybody. And, uh, and anyways, we're we're in this uh, section of First and uh, or, or First Corinthians, chapters one and two, and we've been doing a series of messages that focus in on the cross, uh, on the church, and on the world. And we've uh, done a, a whole series here on that. And today I want to go to what I would call my last message on this section. And unless some other thing comes along, next week we have a guest uh, that'll be with us. And the title of this morning's message is, Can You Read His Mind? And you've heard that phrase before when someone says, you know, can you, can you read my mind? Or, or maybe you do read someone's mind sort of by just looking at them. If you know somebody that is uh, um, well, you know, like somebody really well, sometimes you can just look at them and you know what they're thinking, right? And we, we do that sometimes. But when it comes to knowing the mind of God and to know His plan and His heart's desire for us, uh, you have to go back to the scriptures. And particularly, you have to go back with a spiritual understanding. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning in uh, the message. And let's begin reading at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. The Bible says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they... Uh, are spiritually discerned but he who is spiritual judges all things yet he himself is rightly judged by no one for who has known the mind of the lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of christ let's pause in a word of prayer our father we do come before you again this morning in thanksgiving thank you thanking you for giving us your word Thanking you for giving us the Holy Spirit that will allow us to discern the Word of God. And Lord, as we open up your book again this morning, I pray you would open it to us and teach us as only you can do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things here, and I'm going to look at this and break this down in just some simple phrases, these few verses that we just read this morning. And as we've looked over this series of messages, we've looked at. Uh, the message of the cross, and that's really the central message to the gospel, which is that Christ died for us according to the scriptures, that he died for our sins. And we've discovered in this, as we've looked at this, and also I'm sure many of you already knew this, that, that a lot of people don't understand that fact, or they don't understand why Jesus had to die, and why it is so important that he had to die a certain way even, Uh, and it's foolishness to them. And we looked at that. The cross or the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who do not understand those things. And further along, Paul uh, brings further light on that subject. We also know this, that God is, he is destined to destroy human pride. And I appreciate what Sesha said at the end of her song, to God be the glory, right? And you know that God is the one who gets all glory for, or he should anyways, for all things because he's rightly deserving of all glory. No one else is, but God is. And that's what he wants. And do you realize that when he created man and he, he put us here, right here on this earth, and in other words, he created us from the earth, all of that he wanted men, he wanted women, boys and girls everywhere, he wanted them to interact with him in a way that would worship him or ascribe worth to him, or in other words, give him glory. And we learned that in the first chapter that uh, of 1 Corinthians here, that it's the foolish things of the world that God's chosen. The, the things that are weak, the, the vessels that are but dust, right? I mean, that's how the Bible puts it. He's taken those things that are so weak and feeble to confound those things that are mighty and those things that are strong. And and that's the message of his his cross, really, is the weakness uh, that if there was ever weakness with God, and there isn't, it would be at the cross at the death of Christ. But even through that, we see his great strength, his victory over sin and death and all that. And God delights in using weak vessels to proclaim that message, and he does so to the confounding of the world and he does so to the destruction of human pride often and that's what he desires to do so that we might come to him and put him in his right spot in our own hearts and minds we also learned that we must keep the message central to christ we sang that song what a wonderful savior is jesus my lord that's the central message of everything that should come out of our, our life and our, our words. It should be about him and not about us. And we've talked about that and about him being crucified and really the message that should be given out to the world, which is the only message of hope, which is through Jesus Christ, there is salvation offered. And we also have learned that you shouldn't be surprised if people don't understand that and they don't see it the way you see it. All right if you're a Christian. And I say that because um, there's a lot of people out there today that they probably are still sleeping in. They don't consider Sunday any different than any other day, except it might be a day off for some, some it isn't. And others would say that, you know, why would you go and spend a few hours in church or even just an hour in church uh, and go and do something silly like that and waste a perfectly good day? honestly, before I was a Christian, that's kind of the way I looked at it. Uh, And I say before I was a Christian, I was raised as a nominal Christian. I thought, you know, I went to a church occasionally, especially, uh, you know, even weekly we went, but I would purposely go to the, I would go to the service that was at a nursing home in our area because it was at eight o'clock in the morning and by 8.30 it was over and I could go out fishing or whatever else. And it was in French and I don't even understand French that well. But it was just, you know, it would be done just that quick. And I, I thought, well, I did my duty. I went to church, made my parents happy, probably, my grandmother and others. And I went off about my day, and I gave no more thought to God during my day than, than that. That's it. And I'm so thankful he broke into my life when I was 18 years old. And, and he said, Jack, Heron, you think you're somebody? Well, I'm somebody far greater. You know what I mean? And he's still shaking me up now and again. Uh, as I think all these years on. And I I trusted the Lord back when I was 18 years old. And it's made a difference in my life because it opened up my understanding of who he is. And he began that work first. <laughs> Just We've already looked at that as well. And we're going to come to this section because really this is the whole idea. Verse 16 says, who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? It's a, a kind of a question that has an answer you know to it attached like who are you to instruct God right and that's really uh, by the way where man should rightfully be Um, we can know his will and understand about him because he reveals it to us but to really instruct God tell him how he should make things no sorry can the you know the 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 vessel tell the potter or the clay tell the potter you know why'd you make me this way or why th- am I this color or why is this or why is that right I mean that we know that that is the illustration that scripture uses on that well let's back up and we're gonna pick apart some words here this morning and look at a few things verse fourteen of first Corinthians two is a ever important verse because there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit and man's spirit and the spirit, you know, if there's spiritual world and all those things, there's lots of spiritual talk that goes on out there in the world. And generally speaking, across the world, the worldview of most people incorporates spirits of some sort, all right? And sometimes it's very twisted from the way God has revealed himself. And we got to sometimes break that down and look at it under the the, the doctrinal topic is pneumatology the study of the holy spirit or of of the spirit in general and a lot of the that falls under that umbrella in the bible study of that and we're not going to get in that deep to things but i want to look at particularly this verse and touch on a few things and understand that first of all we know from the very beginning the creation account that man and woman also that came from man as well that man was created in the image of god and you say well what does that mean hopefully God doesn't look like Jack Karen. you know? Uh, does he look like you? Does he look like me? Some people think that, all right? Really, what that verse implies, and, and I think it te- further clarifies it as you go through Scripture, is that God made man unique among all creation in that he gave him a spirit, all right? In other words, a portion of him, a non-material part that would desire to worship, all right? To ascribe worth to something other than himself. And that is unique. If you just want to break this down in in terms of study of life out there, man, and I'm saying mankind. It, it, guess what? We are the only so-called species among all the living things that exercises some spiritual activity. You will not find higher-level apes or whales or dolphins or other intelligent animals. If you want to just lump them together in biology, biological terms. You will not find them erecting altars. You'll not find them, you know, making pilgrimages to go worship at some wherever, you know, portion of their jungle or their beach or something like that. I mean, there are people that try to ascribe those things to them and all that. But you don't find that activity among the animal kingdom in general. So man is not just another animal. I just throw that out because in biological terms, that's often how he's presented Sometimes we wonder why we are so awash in immorality in our own culture and why someone could go in like this week and, and kill 17 people in a school and the questions are, oh, this person's to blame, they're to blame, that's to blame. And this, you know, I bracket right up when you tell people from their earliest days that you're nothing more than just some matter that was put together randomly and you have no more purpose in life than a plant that dies on the front lawn no doubt you'll look at everybody the same way. And you'll go out and you'll say, that person has no more value than that tree that's over there. And my friends, man was created in the image of God. And, you know, he he created him in such a way, even later on in the book of Genesis, he said this, that if man should shed blood of another man, in other words, commit murder, that his blood must be shed by man. Because God made him in his image. You know that? In other words, when you kill somebody in murder, you kill them, you are tampering with, really, you're poking God in the eye and saying, God, has, God you don't have any value because man doesn't have any value. I'm off on a little bit of a tangent here this morning. But I tell you this because... We have to back up to the basics and the understandings of where we ascribe value. And if you have a right view of God, you'll have a right view of man. And it's no doubt today that in our schools it's a dangerous place sometimes. And in other places it's a dangerous place because we live in a sin-cursed world and people have taken God out of their mind and thinking and replaced him with themselves or with something else and they are worshipping idols and the fruit of idolatry is destruction. And I say that because how do you live in a world like that? You do what Paul did. You went into a world with fear and trembling, but with the boldness of Christ on you, and you proclaim the good news of salvation. You proclaim Christ. But there'll be many that'll turn their heads and shake them and say, it's foolishness. You guys that believe that crazy, stuff. Well, Paul lived in a world like that. The Bible says here, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. I want to break this down. The word natural man shows up there. The natural man is, in the phrase, describes someone who experiences life by nature. In other words, in the natural realm. And there are really two realms. There's the natural and the supernatural. The supernatural is that which is outside of what we can see, taste, smell, experience, all those things in this realm. Now, the supernatural can be experienced. I'm not saying that, but you can't take God and put him in a laboratory and say, I'm going to make some experiments on God and see how he he works in my little laboratory. We like to do that. I mean, how many of us philosophically we put God in a box and we say, this is the way I build my world around God and God don't ever step out of this box because it'll just upset my world. Well, whether you think that or not, however you think of God, it doesn't change who he is. He is all powerful, all knowing, and he's everywhere present. And understand that. But the natural man, he goes about, he, she, whatever, they go about going this, doing this. They, they say, well, you know, if it, uh, uh, if it benefits me per se, maybe I'll do that because this moment it's the right thing to do or it feels good or, uh, or, or whatever. And they live their philosophy of this life based upon really a selfish motive. Now, they may not be entirely selfish. They may say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life for my fellow man and give my life for sacrifice. And there's people that do that too, but they do it with either the reward that it gives them in the now, like I feel good because I was good. I was over uh, yesterday in Caribou and I stopped at a grocery store and there was an older woman who had a, a grocery cart and it was a long ways back to the store. And I was taking my cart and I looked at her and I said, can I take your cart for you? And she says, oh yes. She goes, oh, you did your good deed for the day. Well, it made me feel good for the moment, but I thought about it. I thought, isn't that the way we sometimes think about things? I did something good yesterday. Thank you, you know. And now I tell you guys that. And I've lost the reward, but, you know. <laughs> but, but we do those things, and we think, ah, you know, I must be okay. In reality, that would never save me from my sins. Neither would it save you. You could move a 1,000 grocery carts and help everybody you stand out there in the cold and martins and move carts. i sure that the employees would appreciate that, but you'll not get any closer to heaven in doing that. You'll make a few people a little bit happier and, and cause a little less strain on someone, but you know what? The natural man lives for that kind of world, for the good or the bad, and he lives based upon what he can see, what he can touch, what he can smell, what he can hear in this world but he doesn't understand the spiritual things. And when it comes to spiritual things, oh, sometimes he tries. And, and you know, bad things happen to everybody. And, and you know what? Sometimes evil comes in their world and they say, well, we got to find a way to explain this. How in the world can someone go and kill people? How can somebody go and get drunk and run them over? How can this bad thing happen in my relationship? How can this... And they go on and on and on and, and they create a... A spiritual world around them, sometimes looking for answers, that is false and based on false doctrine. I say that because uh, I had this conversation this week and just talking with somebody, and someone had had proposed that when we, man was created, he was created in the image of God, and because he was creating the image of God, um, he had God's Holy Spirit right from the very beginning. Well, the, the problem with that is that it means that God is in everything and everyone. And that's what we call pantheism. And there's lots of groups of people out there that believe that. That you better not go cut the tree because there's a spirit in the tree. And, and you better not go, uh, you know, swat the, the bug that is biting you on the forehead or whatever. The top of my head is my forehead. Uh, and because, you know, there's a spirit in the, in the bug or, or the spirit of man. And we're all part of this life force, right? God is in everything and everything is God. That is not good theology. Man was given a spirit, which is a non-material part, and, and, and I distinguish it in scripture between the soul and the spirit. The soul is that which is the seat of emotion, the seat of intellect, that which allows you to think outside yourself even, and identify you as you, sort of attached to your personality. But the spirit is that part which is in tune with, well, in tune with God initially, but when we sinned, And even in Adam, we're born in Adam's race. Because we sin, we are estranged from God. We're separated from God. And we can't know him anymore in our natural state. We've lost that ability to know him. Now, there may be some remnant of the truth. There may be some counterfeiting of it even or whatever. But the deep things of God you can never understand in the natural state. You can't. The only way you can come to the knowledge of those things is if God breaks through and reveals them to you. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about him uh, for a couple uh, weeks now on on this topic specifically. And we go to the next phrase on that. It says the natural man does not receive. He, He cannot receive, and the word can be translated accept. He just can't accept this notion about what Paul's message was about, which was Christ, particularly the resurrection and the uh, not only the death of Christ, but the resurrection from the dead. People have a hard time with that one. Yet, lots of people go off to church services on Easter and they say, yeah, we must believe that. But many go home and think, yeah, it's a big fable. It's a big story someone made up. Maybe they'd make some money. Well, I would just say this. You better go back and historically look at that and the account of the resurrection and the witnesses that were available, and all the evidence that's in, and weigh it out for yourself. And you may come up like like Lee Strobel did when Lee Strobel wrote the book "Their Case for Christ, and the series that's based on that. He was not a believer. Uh, he was one that really wanted to scrutinize the resurrection. And Lee Strobel went, and as a lawyer, that's what his background was, a legal experience, he went and from a legal framework, he built a case for whether or not Christ really rose from the dead or didn't. And he came up with indisputable evidence and a weight of volume of evidence that says he did indeed rise from the dead and you better believe on him and trust him and Lee Strobel was converted and then later would write the book like Case for Christ and others and he didn't do it because he was making more money as an author he was making more money as a lawyer and I say that because sometimes these things break through to us and realize that there's something greater than this world, someone greater than this world. The natural man cannot receive or accept those things. And it says of the Spirit of God, and and literally you have there, you cannot fully understand the deep things of God. I can say that personally in my life by by experience. I mean, when I was growing up and I sat in a church service or listened to somebody, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. It really didn't. I would say, yeah, you know, that, that crucifix up there with Christ on the cross, I mean, he must have been a good man. He died for me, but I didn't have any more knowledge than that, than other than a sacrifice of some sort. And we understand sacrifice in our world. We say, yeah, you know, when someone goes out, like a police officer, and, and lays down their life, or, or a, a soldier, a Marine, somewhere out there, they give their life for a cause, we say, yeah, we, we understand that. But do you understand that it wasn't just a sacrifice, but it rather a, an atonement for our sin, a payment for our sin. And not only the payment for sin, which was death, but it was an innocent man who paid the price for me. He took my full payment. And now he gives me his righteousness. Oh, wow. I get everything at his expense. And now I have a place in heaven because of the righteousness of Christ that guarantees that... and. I say that because I had to do nothing for that. He did everything. But to explain that to people, sometimes they just say, I don't think so. It cannot be that easy that you're telling me all I need to do is is turn from my ways and trust Him and believe on Him and, and I'll be saved. And that's what the Bible says. But you know, some people say it can't be that easy. I mean, everything I do in this world takes effort. Whether it's getting up in the morning, it's shoveling the driveway, it's going to work, it's retiring you know with that hope or whatever everything in this world takes effort and there's a cost to it and it seems like it depends a lot on me and you right and when you're telling me there's something free with no strings attached yeah because god is gracious and if you want to know his mind and you want to experience god you first you have to come to the knowledge that he's gracious. He's so gracious that he took those that hate him and were at war with him, enmity with him, the Bible says, and he's brought them into, by faith, a relationship with him and and given them in a place of adoption. Adopted as adult sons legally. That's the term that is used when Paul says adopted. And you're brought into the family of God. Wow. How did that happen? You know, the natural man. And there's another word there. It says foolishness foolishness do you know that that when you bring up this stuff uh to people that don't understand who god is because they don't have the lord right they don't have the holy spirit within them guess what they do not understand these things and they say it's foolish the word for foolish there in the greek that paul uses it is a term that could mean dull boring It, it could mean insipid all right um useless ridiculous and the word stupid. And that's the kind of mentality a lot of people have. And, that, and I'm sure there's people today that say, you guys are being silly for just sitting in here and listening to this guy. Sometimes I think so too. But anyways, no. But th- I say that because, listen, we sometimes, we, we, uh, the world has this idea that this is a big waste of time. It's dull going to church. It's boring. Well, not if you learn about Christ. I'll tell you what. And there's nothing dull and boring about the Lord. And guys, I can honestly say, it isn't always exciting to sit here in church, but I'll tell you this, someday when we experience him face-to-face, firsthand, for eternity, there'll never be a dull moment. There'll never be a boring moment. There'll never be a time where you go, I wish I was somewhere else. I wish that lunch would come. Whatever else. You would not, you'll not have that experience. And that's why I say, when we exalt Jesus Christ, he does the work, because people get excited Wow, he's bigger than me. And I'm glad for that. He says also, nor can he know them. Do you understand the unsaved or the natural man? He cannot know God. And that doesn't mean he's not smart or intellectual or anything like that. There are people, far greater minds than I'll ever have. And I'll say this, they cannot understand god like a sometimes just a simple guy understands him i read years ago in reader's digest it was a little story about a boy with down syndrome and the boy with down syndrome had trusted the lord and he would just go around and and he was in his own little world sometimes he would sometimes out on the playground or whatever and he was spinning around and spinning around but he'd stop and he'd tell people about jesus and there was another Christian who was there in the park one day and watched this little boy who had such a, a, a handicap in many ways, but it was just, just out there loving the Lord, you know, in his own little world that way. And he was telling people one after the other, after the other. And he says, how is it that we miss that message sometime? And someone who's probably living just rather simple in his world, you know what? He understands. He understands. Because the Spirit of God is able to illuminate the heart and mind. And oh, I praise the Lord for that. That's when Paul says, you know, he he makes that distinguishment between the two. And then he goes on and he talks about discernment. He says, because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, you cannot understand spiritual things, the truth, anyways, of spiritual things, unless you first have the Holy Spirit, because these things are spiritually discerned. They're understood only by someone who can have that discernment. And the word for discernment, it's actually a legal term that was the Greek word that is used, and it means to sort through or to translate. And in other words, to make understanding. And I thought of that because sometimes, you know, we have problems with our hearing and our understanding, things like that. Uh... It's like the guy that went, he went and got a, uh, my dad just got a new set of hearing aids here recently, and uh, they were quite costly and all that, and I think, Joe, you just got a new set and all that, and you know, their insurance probably covered most of that, but those things are costly. Well, there was a guy that did that, he he got new hearing aids, and he was talking to his neighbor right after he got them put in, and he said, yeah, I just got these new hearing aids, and uh, they cost $4,000, but they work perfect. So the neighbor says, what kind are they? He goes, oh, it's twelve thirty. Yeah, sometimes we're like that, aren't we? We we think we're doing better than we are. We we hear, but we don't really understand, or or those kind of things. Or how about the other guy? He was uh, uh, he had gone, got his new hearing aids, and the doctor fitted him. He went home, and a month later he came back for his checkup, and uh, and the doctor says, how are you doing? He says, oh, it's great. I hear everything. He and so the doctor said, your family must be delighted. He said, I haven't told them yet. He says, I just sit back and listen to what they have to say about me. He says, I've changed my will three times in the last month. (laughs) Well, sometimes there's a disconnect with our hearing, a physical issue. Sometimes there's an understanding disconnect. Probably the best example of that would be when we are in a world uh, of a foreign language, for instance, where you don't understand something because you don't know the language. Um, I've been in several countries around the world where they speak a different language, right? I lived for a uh, couple years in Germany. I, just, I, I, I love a lot of the German people, but I'll tell you what, I don't understand their language, and I can't even, I don't know, the words are this long sometimes, and I can't even make them out, you know? Uh, but I, I do know a few words, you know? Ein Big Mac bitter. That means one Big Mac, please, you know, it's not right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, but we lived in Ukraine also, and had uh, when we initially went there, learned Russian. And there are Russian words that sometimes you're. You know, when I first got there, I didn't understand some of the words, and I'd hear terms, and I'd I'd make the English switch in my mind, right, to try to understand the words, and they didn't make much sense. When a friend says "dasvedanya," and you thought he said the dog spit on you, you know, and you think that, that's a big difference. "Dasvedanya" is like "see you later," right? But dog spit on oh, you, no, that's not good, you know. Uh, I had a missionary friend, and she was learning um, uh, her, you know. Words and all that, and one of the things you do when you go knock at somebody's door, you never open the door there unless you know who's on the other side. And so the question would be, Katotam, who's there? All right. And uh, th- she was a new missionary. It was Jane, and she when she was just learning. And I was on the other side of the door, and I said, At the that's it's me. She goes, Yahoo. <laughs> Sometimes we do that, right? We take and we. We, make, we bring our own language, we do this, but we really don't understand. And you can mind, you know, we certainly understand how it is when you're preaching through a translator. There were good translators, interpreters, and then there were people that I used sometimes occasionally when I was preaching that I knew they weren't doing so well. And the, what I was trying to get through to people was not the same. And oftentimes it was me doing that, you know, I found out later things like that. And I've shared before with you one time I was on the street in Ukraine, in Kiev, and I, we had a new church building that we just purchased, or, or it was a church gathering that was happening, and I tried to invite somebody to church instead of using the word which is church, I used the word It's very similar, just a little different ending, but one is a circus and one is a church, okay? And they looked at me like, why do I want to go to your circus? You know? You see how that goes? Now, we can laugh at that now, but That's often how we come to spiritual things. And the natural man, it's no wonder, he says, you know, why are you guys tending the circus today, all right? And you got that chief clown up there, you know, whatever. But I I say that because that is the way we sometimes are. We hear things. and We say, oh, I, I just understood that. But you didn't. You didn't. Because the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that comes to the the next verse here, when um, Paul talks about in verse, let's go to verse 15. He says, but he who is spiritual, or the spiritual man is the term that is used there, judges all things. Now, what Paul is saying is not putting a special category of people that, I mentioned this last week, you know, sometimes believers do this. And sadly, in the church, they erred in this whole thing historically, where there was a group that said, the things of God are so deep that you, you peons, you peasants cannot understand that. So we're going to remove ourselves and go to the monastery or wherever else, and, and we're going to be the clergy. All right. The Kleros is the term. And it was Gnosticism is what the terms that fell under that. Where there was a group that, that uh, separated themselves under that belief. And I think the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which is mentioned in the book of Revelation, is, is part of that. They believed that the things of God were so deep that you guys can't understand it. So we'll tell you what it's about. Well, you know what? That's not what Paul does. He instead throws it back on all of us. And he said, you have to be spiritual. You have to know him first to understand him. And he goes right back at them in that regard. And he says, but he who is spiritual, he's not classifying peoples, but he's rather saying this, you have to be spiritual to judge the spiritual things, spiritual matters. And you can understand even the deep things of God. But on the other hand, it says, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And he's not, what he's saying there is that they don't, the world doesn't see it. The world says, you're crazy. Why do you believe that? You fool. And that's what they use. And that's what he's saying there. They don't get it right, but you can get it right. And I think of that because that's sometimes the way uh, um, we have to understand those things. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. One of the things that man does in his natural state, apart from God, is he does not ascribe value to the Lord. In other words, he counts it worthless, or at least not something that should be a priority. Like, you know, it's okay to go to church once a week, but two or three times a week? Or go to a retreat somewhere, and, you know, a Men for God conference, or ladies retreat, or teen retreat, that's going on this week, you know, things like that. Um, That's a little bit too much, you know, commitment, that's... I don't know, that's, that's almost cult-like. I mean, I've heard people say things like that. Well, listen, they don't get it right. They don't understand the value. They don't see those things. I think of um, a couple that were shopping in a, a thrift store. This was a few years ago. And they bought a West Point jersey there, an old one. It had holes in it and everything else, for 58 cents. thought that's pretty good got home, and they, they had put it up in the closet somewhere, and it wasn't even worn that often. And one day they were watching a television program on Vince Lombardi and a documentary on the great football coach. And they discovered it, they had once been at West Point and other things like that. and They said, hey, wait a minute. That tag in there has a name on it. They went and looked at the tag, Lombardi, number 46. That 58-cent um, sweatshirt or <laughs> whatever it was went for $43,000 at auction. Sometimes we don't know the value of something you have. Now, that's a monetary value from somebody who became famous, important, or whatever later on. But honestly, that's the way people treat the Lord. You know, religion is kind of that thing. You just, you know, it's about the same level as the thrift shop, okay? Whatever it is for those people that, that really can't afford anything else, all right? Can't do it themselves, and so they go to the thrift shop. I go to the thrift shop. Okay, so just so you know. But I just say this uh, that's the way we come to the, the religious experience, so called, and faith and Christ sometimes. The natural man does not see the value in it. But God is infinitely, uh, has a, a price ascribed to him that is, is you know, infinitely valuable. In other words, there's no price you could ever put on him. Salvation granted for everybody. And that's he himself is rightly judged by no one. And again, that's the way we sometimes fall in these things. We see that also in the way the world acts sometimes. Remember when Paul was at Athens in the Greek city of Athens, he goes into that great city and the Greeks had tried to explain their world. And they they did it in a way that many do. They decided to figure out that there must be other things out there we see spiritual activity in our world and we see evil and we see that we must have come from someone or something or somewhere so we're going to try to explain it so they came up with all these little stories and they had all their different gods the pantheon of gods that went from it seems like ever and they had in their worldview these things and paul goes there he sees a a city filled with idolatry wholly given over to it and in the middle of that he declares to them the unknown god and you know what? There were some that listened. But then it goes on, in verse 18 there in Acts 17, it says, Then certain Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers encountered him. Some said, What does this babbler want to say? And others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus in the resurrection. We know what Paul's message was because it says it right there. It was Jesus in the resurrection. He didn't come there and tell them, I'm going to speak on. The evils of worshiping Greek gods, all right? And boy, there's lots of guys in the pulpit probably today, and they're pounding issues. I'm going to preach against this and against this and against this. And I always wonder do they have anything for? And I don't say that because sometimes we need to step on toes, we do. But the central message that should be coming from the pulpits of the world should be of Christ and his resurrection. And if that was taken, not only heralded correctly, and believed correctly we would see revival across our land but i want to back up i highlighted the word babbler babbler you guys know what babbler is right imagine if i came up here and just started doing that right i mean you guys already wonder but i listen that is the way they looked at paul he's a babbler Probably spoke with an accent, and he probably, what he was saying was so out there. I mean, after all, someone coming back from the dead, that does, does not happen, all right? You crazy man. The word babbler in the Greek means seed picker. Seed picker. And you say, well, what does that mean? Back there in ancient Greece, if you really couldn't get a job, you could always go pick seeds. And you know what? You could pick seeds and sell them in the market or give them to somebody else to sell in the market. Nobody likes to go pick seeds. But you know what? That's what he says. You're a seed picker. A hick. A nobody. Where'd you go to school? You know, your your language betrays you. That They're calling him out and saying, you're a nothing. You come from northern Maine? You know? I mean, that's kind of the analogy. I'm not trying to slam you all or me or anybody today, but but that's how people look at it. Who are you to say that? And that's why... When Paul, by the way, there were many that believed, okay? Uh, But it's interesting, it was in Athens, in the seat of the Greek world, where they were exchanging ideas all over the place, that we do not have a book written by Paul later, an epistle to the church at Athens. Now, did Christianity take hold there? Yes, it did. Did it take hold in the Greek empire? Yes, it did. Or in the Greek world? Uh, during Roman times but it, yes it did but it's interesting that it was not where all the philosophers were and the, the men that were counted you know, as great intellectuals that the gospel took root not initially it was in places like Corinth you know where he writes the church, to the church at Corinth in these two letters and other places like that but nevertheless the gospel penetrated and there were people that believed during that time how about Acts chapter 26 when Paul is before King Agrippa, Festus. And he's, he's there as well and, and um, he's sharing about Christ. He's telling them the gospel. And look what it says here. And this is the same thing back to that phrase, they don't judge you correctly. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. I think it's translating the King James, you're mad. In other words, you're, you're not angry, but you're, you're nuts. You're crazy. And he says, much learning is driving you mad. Now, that was my school verse when I was at MBBI, where that much learning is driving me mad. But, but no, in this case, they were saying, you seem to have all kinds of knowledge, but it's driving you crazy. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. He's referring to the death of Christ, and he's speaking to Herod Agrippa, all right? In the Herodian dynasty. This is a grandson to uh, King Herod that was the great, you know, as they called him, and he's the one that tried to kill the babies in Bethlehem. That's the same family. None of that was done in secret. It was all done very publicly. The Jews knew what was going on. People knew what were happening. And he goes on to this. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost persuaded Heard a lot of sermons on that verse right there, and they were all good (laughs) in the sense because a lot of people sit right where we sit sometimes. Sometimes in a church pew, at a at a meeting, in in a time when you're sitting with a coworker and they're telling you their testimony, and they say, "Almost, but not. I, I can't do that. Can't do that. It's still a little foolish to me." But that's what we try to do. And by the way, you can't change it from the outside. This section of scripture is about going from the inside out. The spiritual man is the only one who is equipped to understand the things of God. The natural man cannot. It's that simple. Otherwise, he just reverts back to his own natural state, which is sin. (laughs) I've used the illustration before of a pig. You look at a cute little piglet. That's cute, right? Uh, I don't know if I want to stand under that. But anyway, somebody will take a picture of that probably. But... Uh, I say that because, you know, you look at a cute little piglet. They're all like, you know, just a little cute little thing or whatever. But you can take that piglet and you could put a little bow on it probably and put a little perfume on it, bring it in the house, all that stuff. You could talk to the piglet probably and tell it the importance of making sure it cleans up after itself and clean its room and all that stuff. And you could even tell it maybe someday you're going to meet another piglet and, you know, you guys will have a family And this is the way you should organize your family and all that. But I have to tell you, no matter what you do with that piglet, it's still a pig, okay? Down deep. And as that piglet grows up and it goes and does its own thing, it's going to go right back to its natural state, which is living in the pig slop, all right? The pig poo. And that's so often the way people come to spiritual matters. They are neither equipped to understand or to experience God but they think they're going to try. And so it's no reason why in our world, or it's no wonder in our world why people say, well, this is the way we should define marriage, or this is the way we should define sexuality, or this is the way we should define how we treat one another. This is the way we define the value of life, either unborn or when they get old or in between somewhere else. Well, this is the way. And you say, why do they come up with all these things? Because guess what? The inside is still a mess. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them, right? Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Do you know Christ? Do you know Him? It's that simple. You need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ understand that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and then on the third day rose again according to the scriptures and he lives forevermore to make intercession for us before God himself as as God the son and he does so to to make sure I'm saved and you're saved you need only accept that by faith that's it let's pray God, we are so thankful tonight, or this morning, that is, Lord, just that we can come before you and understand that you are the one who is in control of all things. And, Lord, you have broken into our world, if not just today, but throughout our whole history of people. And you've given us your declaration, your message, which is which is Christ. We thank you for him, and we pray that each and every one in this room would understand and even throughout our world today many would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ who he really is and they'd come to saving knowledge and they would be born again and receive the spirit of God that they too may know the deep things of God and we thank you for that great invitation opportunity in Jesus name amen